Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Now, we'd normally give credit to the questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, but on such short notice, we had no time on this one. Well, back on the show is Mr. Paul Gorenson. Paul is the Chief Executive Officer and Director at Encore Energy. We've also got Mr. Bill Sheriff here with us as well. He joined at the last minute. Bill is the Executive Chairman of Encore. The company is a United States in-situ recovery-focused uranium development and near-term production-capable company with assets spread across Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Wyoming, and we can say potentially now you can add South Dakota to that list. Encore is a uranium portfolio company at Smith Weekly Research, as well as within our elite service. Encore Energy is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol EU, and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol ENCUF. Paul and Bill, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having us. Well, guys, up front here, I want to give some credit to both of you specifically, and also to the broader team and the efforts by the Arzaga team to see this deal put together, as well as our key consultants off stage. I would point out that this is a notable milestone and a big piece to a bigger strategic puzzle that is being executed on. But why don't you give us your thoughts? Uh, Paul, why don't we start with you? Sure. Well, it's a, uh, it is a big, it's a big piece of our, our strategy. As you know, we've, we've talked about how uh, we want to be the, the premier ISR operator in the U.S. And by bringing in the, uh, the assets that Azarga brings with it, uh, we will see, you know, we'll have a, you know, well-known set of properties that we'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to execute on that larger picture plan of becoming that uh, premier ISR operator. It's exciting. It's, uh, we've still got a lot of work ahead of us before we get to, to close, but it's an exciting time and uh, looking forward to getting it done. Bill, any comments that you'd like to add? Yeah, I think it uh, really just rounds out uh, our, you know, the first major part of our business plan in that we had uh, established, uh, you know, our short-term uh, aspects in the company in terms of production visibility uh, being in Texas with the two licensed plants uh, that we have, and currently one of them is under renovation, uh, should be uh, completed within the next nine months or so for under a million bucks. Uh, and then also with our very large long-term package of New Mexico assets with you know over 100 million pounds in all categories combined and dominant position in the uh, biggest uh, uranium district in the U.S. out there. Uh, so what Azarga brings us really is that uh, time period in between the two, uh, in between the short term uh, in Texas uh, and, uh, and the long term in New Mexico. And it bridges that gap very nicely with, uh, you know, the South Dakota Dewey Burdock project, uh, as well as the Gas Hills project in Wyoming. And, uh, you know, Dewey is almost uh, completely permitted, uh, to, you know, right on the cusp of full permitting. Um, but Wyoming being such a favorable state, who knows, uh, you know, Gas Hills uh, with their favorable PEA, uh, you know, it's not inconceivable that uh, the permitting there could, could you know, run up and, uh, you know, be hot on the heels of Dewey, if, if not right in the same time frame. You know, and their land position uh, in South Dakota is such that, uh, you know, the mineralization associated with Dewey is, is quite likely to be expanded. They've spent most of their time and effort on, uh, you know, bringing those up to up to speed. So, 
uh, you know, the, the Dewey Terrace and, and Aladdin projects in um, the East Wyoming. Really haven't seen much work, uh, but they're very, very promising. Lots of drill holes with good mineralized intercepts in it. So the upside's really, really fantastic there as well. Fills in that middle middle ground and, you know, gives us a, a very important presence in Wyoming, which, uh, you know, Wyoming and Texas are the two places to be for ISR in the U.S. So. And I'll add that, you know, with those properties also, with the, the recent work they've done on Gas Hills, you know, Gas Hills has been looked at as being a potential ISR target. Uh, Cameco has a rather large position there. Uh, they've already fully licensed and uh, run a full EIS on it. So uh, it means that uh, Gas Hills is well established and uh, well quantified. So it should create a more streamlined permitting and licensing process as well. This fits in really well, and I like how Bill put it with long-term assets, short-term assets, mm-hmm. and medium-term assets. It really does slot in quite well. I want to ask Bill here, give us just a brief overview of the transaction details and what Encore looks like pro forma here. You know, here again, um, you know, I think their assets are underappreciated, and certainly uh, when you put that in the context of the ISR team, we have at Encore to, as ability to, to really you know, rationalize those assets and get them into production. It's a value-added proposition, but uh, I think pretty clearly the uh, metrics on this should propel Encore considerably higher than it is now, uh, just because it does complete the pipeline. You know, it's a very, very compelling pipeline of production, and it uh, you know sees us within the next uh, three or four years of, of getting up to that three or four million pound a year production uh, uh, potential, and in route to our five million that uh, we've stated we'd like to get to per annum. And certainly a key step in the further consolidation, you know, it fits nicely on our first uh, M&A of Westwater, where we got the, the two licensed plants in Texas and, and a good portion of the New Mexico assets. It just continues our strategy, uh, makes us uh, larger. Certainly a key component of this is that it'll put us in very good uh, position to uplist to the NASDAQ or uh, the NYSE AMEX. Most likely the NASDAQ. We've had uh, discussions uh, regarding that, and certainly we qualify. Uh, so uh, we'll definitely be looking to do that uh, on the heels of this transaction. Yeah, that sounds great, Bill, and that skips over uh, a TSX big board listing. Perhaps we uh, just go ahead and move forward to the NASDAQ here. So I like that thought process, and I also like the fact that it sounds like the plate isn't quite full and that uh, you guys are still out there looking for potential transactions that make a lot of sense uh, to, to grow this business further and to uh, consolidate and also with the intention of eventually here focusing in pretty hard on the production component of things. We should get some people here that will probably want to argue about the dilution component from this deal. Perhaps they don't see at this stage of the market, nor the big picture value that you guys see. Paul, I'd like your comments on that. This transaction is, uh, you know, what one would call, would would classify as accretive. And uh, the, you know, there's always a that argument out there by dilution, et cetera. But uh, one of the things our shareholders have expressed to us many times is that they see our growth path, not just through organically, but also transactionally. And this is the ideal use of uh, our, our company currency, which is our shares, uh, to be able to grow the company and provide real assets that could be, to, that could be part of our complement the assets we already have but also provide us a, a good pipeline of projects for production, low-cost production online that uh, could be become really rather profitable depending on where, where the mar- uranium market ends up and where it ends up uh, over the long period of time. 
So I, I think it's it's good value. It's accretive, and that uh, all our shareholders will benefit ultimately for this in the long run. Yeah, I, I would just follow up on that, and that uh, you know, my first argument to someone that makes that proposition is that it's not dilutive. Uh, you know, there's a popular misconception along among some of the uh, well, I don't know, I guess maybe newer investors in the sector that, that dilution happens every time you issue stock. The issue of how many shares you have out has nothing to do with dilution. It, it uh, is when you have less value per share as a result of issuing shares that you have dilution. And when you have more value per share issued, then it's accretive. And I think pretty clearly, as Paul stated, when you look at the assets that we're bringing in, the jurisdictions that we're bringing them in, you know, the, the economic metrics on the, the two main projects, plus the tremendous upside on, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, Dewey Terrace and Aladdin, that uh, one would be hard pressed and, and not uh, really be very aware of, of those assets, uh, not have a good understanding of them to assert that it's in any way dilutive. Uh, fully agreed. I, I think that the focus here is on the value component, what price you're paying, and also where the market cap is. I think investors need to focus more on the market cap, not necessarily the share count. As a good few examples, you can look to places like Australia where you have these penny dreadfuls that trade for a tenth of a penny or two tenths of a penny that have a boatload of shares out by anybody at North America standard, yet that value can still be delivered. And there's a few examples. Bill, you mentioned just a little while ago and you kind of alluded to it. What is, assuming this deal closes, what is on the Encore team's level of appetite for potentially more M&A deals before you dial in the focus on development and production? Well, I think I, I think uh, the the two are not necessarily related. I think you know we've clearly got a with this merger, especially a pipeline of established production-worthy, compelling economic opportunities to develop sequentially into production, and. Uh, I don't see anything in terms of the acquisition strategy interrupting that, but being additive to that. Here again, uh, you know, this will this will give us the potential to get to three to four million pounds a year pretty easily. Uh, you know, ideally, we've stated we'd like to get to five. If we happen to get to six, so be it. That's just fine. Uh, nothing wrong with being an overachiever. But um, you know, cl clearly, we'll be looking for other assets that can fit in there. What it does, though, is it really increases our flexibility to look up and down the time frame in terms of whether it's short term or mid term, in terms of, uh, you know, or, or even long term, uh, in terms of where that next asset comes from. Because now we've got a complete pipeline of short term, mid term, and long term projects. So we, we don't really have a need, but other than to grow, any additional acquisitions will be. Uh, I think that's an advantage for us in that we'll, we'll be able to look at what makes the most financial sense. It doesn't matter if it comes in in two years or five years, but what's the best value for us out there? And so, it, you know, this is the really key one that, that really completes our plate, if you will. Everything else is simply adding to that plate. It's not going to rearrange uh, the time frame on this. So, uh, you know, we're quite happy with the hand we've got as described with these projects. Um, certainly, there'll be some uh, additional work done to increase them as time goes on in terms of their size. Really, just a lot of flexibility in terms of where we go on the next acquisition, and it, uh, I don't think it'll interrupt or change uh, current plans for development on any of our assets, rather just add to uh, that production profile. 
And I think uh, going forward, M&A should be looked at as a separate component that also has to do with what price are you paying for that M&A and that project? And if the price is good, then who cares what the pipeline timeline is, so to speak? Um, I think right. it pays for itself later in the cycle if you're paying the right price here. And I think that's an important piece to point out. Paul, on jurisdictions, obviously the United States is first and foremost, but uh, maybe you can just give us a flavor on what other jurisdictions the company would consider if the right deal presented itself. Well, if you're talking about outside internationally, you know, the, the jurisdictions where you, you see the most, uh, you know, every jurisdiction has its challenges, but uh, we've seen some properties in, in Canada and Australia that seem to be that seem to have some movement with respect to the permitting. And of course, you always just run into the politics situation, but those are jurisdictions where uh, they're not, as, say, as uh, easy as, uh, say, you know, some of the African jurisdictions, et cetera, but uh, you're dealing with uh, first world uh, regulatory environments. And when you talked about trying to be, you know, you know, our message has been to be, you know, not only to do this, economically and, and everything else, but also to do it uh, in a manner that has a minimal amount of footprint uh, becomes e becomes something that uh, uh, when you work in an environment, uh, a regulatory environment where the, that's recognized, that's where we see the benefit. And, and then also uh, the, the risk of nationalization, et cetera, that you might see some, in some other countries. And, uh, but, you know, we'd also know that uh, places like Namibia has been, well-established, but it, obviously it's principally a conventional open pit, uh, low-grade materials uh, that aren't necessarily at this moment within our portfolio. And uh, so, you know, there'd be some comfort outside that, outside the U.S., you know, but I'll, I'll just go back and restate that the U.S. is where we know our business. And so that's where we have the highest level of comfort. Appreciate that, Paul, and and certainly uh, the team there at Encore has experience stretching beyond the U.S., and so that's also a nice uh, adder as well. Should the time come to look at other jurisdictions, Paul, I want to stay with you. Uh, you'll be performing some in-depth reviews of these projects from a technical standpoint to confirm the work done to date, identifying mm -hmm. problem areas that may be there and maybe some incorrect assumptions, plus adding some Gorenson-style tweaks to them. Um, talk about that and where maybe some of the focus will be initially. Well, with respect to the properties that come in, as Bill mentioned earlier, is that uh, Dewey Burdock has got the bulk of its uh, permitting and licensing done. From a technical perspective, it's a very good deposit. It's, it's uh, got good grades. It's got known and situ recovery, you know, amenability for ISR, good performance. Uh, but it is a in a challenging jurisdiction with respect to the federal as, uh, aspects of it. So we're going to look hard at what needs to be done, what's left to be done, where things are relative to closing all those loops that that, uh, that might be open uh, with respect to their permits and everything that prior to committing to moving forward on development, uh, making sure we understand those fully, but also knowing that there are currently legal challenges going on with Dewey Burdock that, uh, uh, you know, we are confident that the, the, that will be prevailed upon. Uh, they prevailed on every issue so far, but uh, nonetheless, it does always put a, a little bit of uncertainty to it. With respect to uh, Wyoming, which is a very, uh, a jurisdiction I know very well, uh, we're going to look hard at uh, Aladdin 
even Dury Terrace, which is in Wyoming as well, to see what those options are there. But also looking hard at the Gas Hills because, you know, Ozarga did just release a PEA uh, on Gas Hills. I want to look at that project relative to how we, you know, my experience with Cameco working on the Gas Hills uh, project that they had, which is literally next door, and the uh, how you know the leaching operations, uh, the the way the uraniums are covered, but also the operating parameters and everything that were assumed within the PEA relative to my experience. Uh, I assume we will be making some significant changes to you know as a result of just basically taking collective experience and putting it into that thought. So, you know the if you go look at the gas, the Zargo PEA, they do mention that they have not evaluated with respect to alkaline leaching, et cetera, but that's one of the things that's been recommended. Having worked on the, the adjacent property where they did evaluate it with alkaline leaching, I believe that that one might be one that would be looked at initially. It'll be the easiest to permit. And, and frankly, Wyoming is a good play, jurisdiction to be doing anything with respect to uranium mining like Texas. It's an agreement state. So we'll look at the roadblocks are to execute on Dewey Burdock that Azarga has identified very well, but where those line out on timing. And then looking at the near-term projects, uh, including some of the exploration plays, what we need to do to dress those up, but also uh, advancing gas hills. I probably would look at evaluating uh, what it would take to do the, the whole, to begin looking at permitting that right away so that uh, it will be that midterm project for us, along with Dewey Burdock. Good points, Paul. I appreciate that. That's a, a good set of you know areas to cover there, and some of the things you're going to be looking at, and then also the focus a little bit more on Gas Hills, uh, how potentially quickly that one there could move forward. Yeah, Bill, I want to kick it over to you for a sec here. If things continue to shape up for the company and your guys' continued execution on strategy, the market cap continues to grow here. And you guys, uh, unlike a lot of companies in the space, have done a nice job of maintaining that market cap, which has enabled you to do things that other companies may not have the capabilities to do. If the valuations are good, what's holding the company back here in the near term? given some of these CapEx financings that are needed for some of these projects, and also the fact that you guys don't necessarily need offtake initially, if the market cap is there and the conditions are right, would you guys pull the trigger on some of these CapExes? I think, um, you know, here, here again, the CapExes are so modest compared to the uh, uh, market caps that, uh, you know, you've got to look at, uh, you know, whether it's for acquisitions or, or, or CapEx or, uh, you know, expansion of your current facilities, obviously, our Texas production. Will... So, yeah, I think in terms of the question of, um, you know, a capital raise to, to look at CapEx, certainly, uh, you know, the market ebbs and flows, even during uh, the up cycle that we've had for the last, uh, you know, better part of the last year, year and a half now. You know, we'd be looking to take advantage of that for CapEx or or for expansion of facilities. You know, here again, even with this acquisition, don't forget Texas is coming on uh, with production first. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, a lot of optionality on our plants down there. The the original plant with 800,000 pounds a year production capacity is uh, currently under renovation and will be completed for under a million bucks, uh, you know, within the next nine months or so. Uh, depending on the market, we, we may well uh, decide that we need to uh, increase our production size there because we aren't limited by permit. Uh, 
so it's it's a bit modular and it's it's pretty easy to upscale our, our production size there so you know depending upon how uh how that goes and then once you're in production you've also got your cash flow which will certainly diminish your need to go to the capital markets so you know it's a difficult question to ask without seeing a chart of the future but um i you know certainly open to that idea but you know you even look at the capex on on dewey burdock or something and it's a very small uh fraction of our of our market cap so uh, you know I, I don't think we'll be uh in any hurry to uh, hit the market for that, but certainly uh, we'll be looking for those opportunities as they come along. And if the market gets a bit carried away, then we'll be a bit more aggressive on that front. That pretty much aligns with what my view is on this as well. And that'll also have a, a big chunk to do with, with continued delivery on strategy going forward here, which is also a pretty big unknown component that can be quite successful as well. Paul, can you just go back for a moment and, and maybe just give the audience a critical path schedule as it stands now with this acquisition? Talk about just some of the, the major milestones that you see coming down over the next, say, call it two years. Maybe just give us some highlights. Obviously, Texas is still first in line, but walk us through. Once we're done, you know, once this transaction gets closed, which we hope to have done before the end, you know, by no, end of November, uh, the the next thing we'll be doing is we'll be continuing to advance our Texas properties. Our intention is to be, you know, we've got uh, the Rosita plant will be completed. Uh, the upgrades will be completed by um, uh, by end of second quarter or beginning of second quarter uh, 2022. Uh, we intend to have, uh, we'll be submitting uh, license amendments, et cetera, for our, these additional properties that we're bringing in. Uh, and then uh, in Texas, so that they can be feed for Rosita to where they would be and be be able to start spending money to develop those and uh, put them into uh, production capability by the end of by 2023. And that way we could uh, meet our current uh, offtake agreement we have and be able to deliver into that uh, because we expect the uranium price to be up. Meanwhile, we'll be uh, the other thing we'll be doing is looking at. Uh, like I mentioned before, the real thing, what we also want, I want to be looking at is advancing Dewey Burdock to get that into production as uh, soon as possible to respond to market conditions and advancing, you know, if, assuming that uh, we make progress, you know, quick time progress on it to begin looking at doing applications on gas hills sometime in 2022. Those are kind of the next two to three years and beyond that. Uh, we'll be bringing on some other properties in, in South Texas, we expect, by then, well as uh, hopefully having production being sourced out of out of uh, South Dakota and then ultimately out of Wyoming. Uh, so over the next five years, that's kind of where we see things uh, coming out. Uh, we'll be uh, advancing, doing work on our New Mexico projects as well to be able to, to uh, begin to, you know, obviously get their resource, et cetera, to NI-43-101 classification, but also make them production options going forward, assuming the market sustainable and sustains it and will support their development. Paul, that looks pretty good and lots of stuff here. You guys have a, uh, a pipeline that's stuffed full of things to do here. Um, you know, also you, you have extensive experience, uh, probably one of the few people in the U.S. that has extensive experience in working with the tribes in the U.S. Um, and of course, you'll need their support on a number of Encore projects. 
talk about some of these efforts to bring them in and create a fellowship to align their support for these projects, including this potential project here with Dewey Burdock. Dewey Burdock is going to be, it's, it's got a long history with, uh, with tribal uh, involvement and interaction. That one is, that, that, that project is going to be, it's going to be more of a, I, I'd say we, I, I don't want to commit to any particular strategy at this point because we're still advancing. It'll be advancing through, you know, there'll be some court auctions going on that'll define uh, kind of some of the major outstanding issues that, uh, that are out there with the tribes. And it's only one tribe, basically. Where we've been focusing our effort really is where we expect to be doing most of our effort is in New Mexico. And, and that's principally with the, the communities in and around the Navajo Nation, as well as potentially, you know, working with the Navajo Nation as well. And that's uh, some of the strategies that are out there are similar to what we've seen and elsewhere where you've got effectively tribal companies or, or Native American owned companies bringing in, you know, uh, providing some kind of split equity to get earn, earn in a position into the uh, the, the facility, the operations or potential potential projects to where they can develop in advance along with us that uh, they have a piece of the action, but also they have a piece of the, the accountability, which is one of the things that they expect. And there's similarities both in Saskatchewan as well, even in the U.S. where you've got uh, Navajo tribal companies purchasing and owning uh, and operating coal mines in, in Western tech, the Western U.S., and uh, that's going to take a bit of work to get there. It's going to take some communication, some involvement, uh, some back and forth uh, to see what the best strategy is with the other tribal communities. We're hopeful that that, that will progress and, and it could provide leverage in South Dakota as well. If I could, I might just uh, add, you know, one, one of the key uh, motivating factors behind whatever we do will be local wealth uh, creation and, and certainly opportunities for that. And uh, you know, we've been had a, had a very strong commitment to that uh, since we've begun and uh, you know our background on the on the gold side and, and working in Canada has given us uh, and, and even back uh, you know even with uh, black empowerment uh, issues with uh, uranium one in, in South Africa uh, so there's a there's a full pedigree across the specter at, uh, at Encore and you know really it doesn't matter whether it's uranium mines or, or any other kind of project you've got to make yourself welcome you've got to create a reason for the local community for to want you to be there and it really boils down to local opportunity and wealth creation. And uh, that that's going to be at the heart of, of what we do. Now, how we achieve that, uh, various methods and manners that Paul was alluding to, and don't want to be committing to any one of those, but that's really the bottom line is we've got to make it to where any community wants us there. That goes for our projects in Texas, anywhere. even if you've got permitting friendliness, really, you've got to enjoy local support. And, and that's something that we're committed to. True. Yes, I think you start at the local level and work your way out that way. But local is so critical, and certainly in this business, by a significant amount. Well, to wrap up here, Bill, for potential investors and even the Encore skeptics, new ones and former ones who are listening in, what would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Why should they consider Encore Energy now? And what would you say to them about the credibility of this company? I think the credibility is is probably the the first reason you buy a, a company, at least for a long term investment, and uh, mid term, uh, maybe not trading opportunity so much, but you know for a real investment, uh, it is credibility. And uh, quite frankly, we've delivered on our plan. You know, we uh, came into this with uh, a very deep team, uh, very good bench, 
seizing production assets uh, with our first uh, M&A opportunity. Certainly bided our time waiting a decade before uh, you know, launching, even though we were funded. Uh, certainly missed a lot of the previous uh, false starts in the business, so I think our timing is good, which is always something we've uh, maintained. Our, our uh, fiscal responsibility is something we've uh, always alluded to and maintained, continue to do so. Uh, but really, uh, you know, this will be our uh, second major uh, merger in less than 12 months. And uh, I noticed that some of the people have been saying, oh, well, this is, you know, what the last company was built on. Where, where is that? They're getting getting uh, tired of waiting. Well, these things take time and you don't want to just be doing a merger for the sake of be doing one. This one fits so well. It fits like a glove. And here again, it goes to the production pipeline, the plan of, of becoming the dominant ISR producer in the U.S. And, you know, a bit of a longer term vision, uh, you know, both short, long term and midterm, but a longer term vision of building a company rather than what are we going to do in the next six months? You know, I don't know what the uranium price is going to do in the next six months. I don't know what the market's going to do in the next six months. What I do know is that the uh, supply and demand on uranium is a compelling argument. Uh, I believe it's probably the only commodity that absolutely is going to have a supply deficit. Regardless, you, you just look at the uh, amount of burn versus the amount of new production, and it's inevitable. Uh, timing, you may be off 12 months or something, but it's going to happen. And we're building a company to have not only a, a very quick production, but sustainable and growing production profile over uh, you know what we expect to be a very long cycle in the nuclear fuel industry. So I think it's a complete picture, to, to really sum it up in, in one phrase. It's a complete picture, and that should be... Uh, compelling for the investor. Paul, any points you'd like to add? As Bill said, this is a long-term view, uh, long-term strategy uh, that's uh, premised on the fact that we know that the, the uranium industry is going to prosper with the nuclear industry. And that uh, with, with nuclear's continued uh, support uh, publicly and increasing public support, uh, we see it continuing to grow. Uh, we already know that uh, right now there's about 55 reactors under construction at the moment, and uh, two of which are in the U.S. Uh, we expect that to continue. Uh, there's new, more reactors operating now than there were prior to Fukushima in 2011. I see this as a long-term opportunity, and uh, that's why we're building the company with these uh, short-term, mid-term, and long-term uh, elements to it. Uh, to be able to achieve a, a long-term sustainable revenue and production profile uh, that will continue to meet the needs of a, a growing nuclear industry. Bill, what's the best way for investors to reach out to the company if they have any questions? Well, you know, the first place would be the website. You know, I think that obviously we'll have, you know, the, the combined pro forma company going forward in terms of its presentation. And, you know, this company is going to have lots of news coming out, so that's certainly one. And uh, you know, in terms of contacting uh, either Paul or myself, we're both available on, on fairly short notice. Can't guarantee you we'll mm -hmm. get back on an email the same day, but certainly uh, I've always maintained within three days I'll get back to, uh, to any potential investor or investor and be glad to take any questions or, or comments and uh, address any concerns, go into more detail, elaborating our plans, uh, what have you. But we're uh, you know, keenly aware that the shareholders own the company and I want to provide them as much information in a timely manner as possible. Well, gentlemen, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, keep up the efforts and uh, all ahead. All right. Well, thanks. Good talking again.